Hi, I'm Anna McEwen, and this is The Epic Narrative. And now, my dad, Bob Switzer. Well, the story is going to keep going. Now, we're, we're going to look at a, at a section in 2 Samuel chapter 5 that, um, I mean, I, I've, I've heard message on it, messages on it, but of course, I've, I've been in churches and the church culture. I've been in evangelicalism for a long time. So I would hear this periodically because, well, usually they're trying to prove a point because most people aren't trying to tell the whole story. They're just trying to um, prove a point. Usually they're trying to adjust slash manipulate behavioral activity. So, uh, anyways, it doesn't really matter why they're why they're preaching. I'm sure they're doing it with a clean heart and a pure desire for people to love God more. You know, they just approach it uh, much differently uh, than I do currently. Uh, although I will admit, you know, when I was listening to that kind of stuff, I was I was you know deep in it for sure and uh, preached it and did the same thing. So I am not upset with them by any means. God is faithful. He is relentless in his love for us and will continue to pursue us and invite us into deeper and deeper levels of of intimacy. Of uh, <laughs> It's such a great word. Uh, it's one of those words that sounds like what it is, like intimacy. It just sounds like what, what it sounds like. Into me, you see. Actually, I've heard that preached as well. I always, I, I thought it was pretty creative, actually. Intimacy, into me, you see. So God invites us, you know, to see into Him deeper, and and basically, even even with that phrasing, right? It it still sounds like God's out there somewhere, and we get to get closer to Him, uh, or He lets us in more. And the reality is, He's within us. And it's our awareness of him that becomes that becomes greater. It's not it's there's not a separation. And I I know I'm uh, I'm getting more hyper about that in my vocabulary. So I, I'll I do catch myself more and more, and I I hear it more and more because of course when you when you're aware of things, right, you become more aware of them. What you focus on, you see more of, and that goes you know, for the bad and the good. So you focus on, on being a victim and you will find more and more reasons to be a victim. You focus on being hope filled and, and positive or optimistic, and you will find more and more reasons to, to be hopeful and optimistic. So in this case, I'm, I'm hearing more of that kind of vocabulary where there's this separation mindset, which is just uh, permeated our worlds, our, our, our religious world, because it is a, a theology that's based on experience. It, you feel separated from God sometimes. And so it's easy to feel closer to him other times. And that's how we describe it. But that's not the reality of who he is. Because he's always with us and he never leaves us. It's like the idea of God being good all the time. 
and and I I agree. And that's part of uh you know part of my whole motivation in recapturing these Old Testament stories is that that uh you know I was challenged over and over again like God is good. God is good. God is good all the time. All the time. All the time. And then it, then uh you know people uh speakers books that i was reading was like well you know if if you have a a good thought about how if you have thoughts about how good god is he's even better he's even better than you think that was the the phrasing right he's even better and i started to get crazy with my thoughts on how good god was and then i i got so crazy about god being good i realized that so much of the old testament People don't see him as a good God. They they take that phrase, God is good, and they put it over the top of what seems to be God being pretty mean and ugly. At the very least, rude. Uh, definitely picking sides, and we'll get into that today. It's... it's uh, it, it's like this this frosting that you put over this cake, but inside the cake, you're like, yeah, he's actually kind of mean. But he's not going to be mean to me on purpose because, you know, I'm one of his. So technically, he's on my side. But but he is mean. And if he does get mean to me, if bad things happen to me, it's because it's God knows it's for my good because he is good all the time. <laughs> and I just, I don't know. I don't know. Like, I know, I know it's a radical thought. I do know that. I know some of you that have been listening and, and I'm sure that the general f- focus and, and interaction around the story have been good and fun. But then periodically I say stuff like that and you're just like, yeah, I kind of like God being mean to the bad guy. Well, fine. We can keep talking about it. Reach out to me. Let's talk some more, because I do know it's it it'll change the way you view a lot of things in Scripture when you realize that God is good, that He and that He has been good through all of time. It's not it's not a it's not a a phrase to put over something worse over bad things that you're gonna blame on God. Oh, there was a hurricane. Well, God is good. Something good will come. God had a plan. He had a plan to kill all those kids and and drown all those people. That's just part of his plan because God is good all the time. You got to trust that God is good all the time. And I just think, no, 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 no. What if we actually just believe he was good? What if bad things happen because the enemy's bad? What if God's goodness is what overrides what the enemy does? It comes in after the flood and turns it into good, and it steals the victory from the enemy. What if the what if the 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 choices of people open up their city and their neighbors to the to the destruction that that evil can bring? Yeah, yeah. Okay, no, Bob. Get on with the story. My goodness, you've been talking for like eight minutes and we haven't even started. Although all we know is that we're in Second Samuel chapter five. So let's. You're right. You're right. The engineer in my head. Bring it back around, Bob. Bring it back around. Okay, so here we go. (laughs) 
it's kind of a more of a hair tin, hairpin turn than a, than to bring it back around. But here we go. Anyway, verse 17 of chapter 5 of 2 Samuel. When the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. So, so again, we got to stop, right? We got to stop because this is a, that takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time. So when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, how long did that take? I don't know. When they heard, probably months. And it's probably not while he's at Hebron. It's when he's in Jerusalem. And you got to remember now, this story is put here not only because it happened, but because it's a picture of what David was up against, generally speaking, on a regular basis. He was up against enemies. But the Philistines, the Philistines represent the enemies. And in this case, are literally here. So this this took months. And they probably probably after David took Jerusalem is where they started to really watch what David was doing. Because Jerusalem had never been taken, remember? It had been in the Jebusites' hands for 500 years. The Philistines had tried to take it, I'm sure, many times, as, ha- as had many other tribes and nations, and, and but the Jebusites hung on to it for 500 years. David goes up against it, and he takes the city basically without losing a man, which was insane. And the legend had to spread quickly through the nations because many nations had tried to do this. And now David gets anointed king of Israel. The Philistines, remember, had still had occupied large portions of Israel. They still had many villages, many of the cities, all belonged to the Philistines because of the time that they had defeated Saul almost two years ago. So David takes... David takes his little band of brothers. I know it's not little. I'm sure it was several thousand men. And they march in on Jerusalem. And the Jebusites, remember, just mock them and and basically say, you know what? We've been here for 500 years. We don't even need an army to defend us anymore. David makes a challenge because he's already got a plan. He's already got a plan because David knew for a Many years, I am taking Jerusalem when I become king. And he did it. So now the Philistines, as as well as I'm sure many other enemies, sat up straight. When word got back, wait a minute, David's where? Yeah, he took Jerusalem. Jebusites. Jebusites are out. And what we're hearing is he sent a small band of, of soldiers to climb the water shaft into the city. And basically everybody's walking around going, oh, who'd have thought it was that easy? I mean, <laughs> they had to wonder many times, like who who knew it was that easy? It's one of those brilliant moves, backdoor moves where people, when they hear about it, they're like, why did I think of that? Of course. Anyways, so the Philistines are in that in that mode and they 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 just don't know what to do. And so they decide, well, we've got to take him on. Like, like if he has Jerusalem, 
as his capital city. Now, now remember this. If he has Jerusalem as his capital city, guess who could stand against attack for another 500 years? Yeah, the same city. You think David's going to leave the uh, the water shaft unguarded? Do you think? Do you think he didn't put down a few uh, a few key defensive measures because he knew everybody was going to get the information out? You know, everyone would know. Hey, this is all you have to do to take the city. No, he took their only weak point and he fixed it. You know, it's kind of like in Star Wars when they build basically a planet, uh, the Death Star, and they leave, you know, the exhaust, the one exhaust pipe open. And if you hit it, right, the whole thing blows up. And we we find out, of course, if you like Star Wars, you find out later that it was that flaw was put in there by design by the guy who designed the 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 Death Star because he was his family had been kidnapped and he was basically forced into this. So he he designed it and then he helped sneak the information out to the rebel force. Oh man, that's a good story. That's another epic. Maybe maybe I'll do one of those after we're done with the ones in the Bible. Maybe we'll do big epics like Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, uh, oh, um, Paradise Lost, uh, Iliad and Odyssey. Oh man, those are all those those are epic stories. So many lessons to learn. All right, sorry. Welcome to the epic narrative. We just keep on going. We've got so much material. We'll be here for the next 500 years. So so taking on David was important because he was now in a city that had stood for 500 years and David could defend it probably way better than the Jebusites because they had gotten overconfident. And David, of course, had a pretty good undefeated <laughs> record when it came to being in battle. So this the strengthening of David... And his role in in the nations, in the surrounding nations, was was uh, challenging and alarming to the other nations. But a lot of the the nations were also um, lining up. Remember, uh, the the first one was the king of Tyre started sending David everything he would need and skilled labor, so that he could expand his city. So that he could build government buildings, so that he could, he could um, basically be even greater than the than the Jebusites who had the city before him. This was all within the walls of of Zion, which is called the city of David. That is uh, one of the things. But they also saw many others lining up to get into. Um, Trade agreements with him. Remember, we saw that he had met, took on more concubines and wives after he left Hebron. So when he when he takes on Jerusalem, he moves into Jerusalem. A lot of nations were like, you know what? Don't want to be at war with this guy. Let's let's form alliances. Alliances are being formed. Trade agreements are being signed. Contracts are being uh, evaluated. The tribes of Judah, their all of their Wealth and their influence was expanding because they had already had a lot of these trade agreements. Now the rest of the nation is starting to benefit from it. The Philistines is, uh, you know, are basically watching this go on right under their noses, and they're like, "Wait a minute! If we don't knock this guy out, there's a good chance he'll knock us out. So let's put together the biggest army we can and let's go after him." Now this is this is this is uh, 
impressive what they do. It's impressive that they're coming at him with this big of a, of a group of, of warriors because they knew David. Remember, David, David literally lived with them and all of his men and their families. He lived with them for a year and a half. He knows the king, Akish, personally, has spent many meals with the man, has sat with him, laughed with him, and, of course, he was lying the whole time about what he was doing for him. But as far as Akish was concerned, David worked for him. Remember, Akish was so confident in David's loyalty that he, that he made him his personal bodyguard and rode in with these Hebrews to the battle against Saul. So this decision to come up against David, this was personal for the Philistines. I think Akish finally figured out that he had been betrayed. That's that's what if that's what I think when I read about what the Philistines' response was to David taking over as king. I think Akish looked at what David was doing. He looked at how David was was behaving. I mean, when he was when he was a king in Judah, it was no big deal. He didn't go after David. David didn't come after him. David, you know, just expanded. Um, the the influence of the of the tribe of Judah, and then he was always up against basically at that time uh, in civil war against uh, Avon. Uh, not, oh, what was that guy's name? Come on, he was the uh, the general Abner. Thank you. Another uh, my my engineer finally came through for me. Abner, right? He's up against Abner in civil war against Abner. Philistines didn't have to worry about David. He was just he was just basically a tribal leader, but it was a big tribe, and that was no big deal. Now David oversees 12 tribes, and that is a big deal. And he's unifying them. And they seem to be working together. And now they've have they have a unique, uh, very uh highly defendable capital city where all their leadership can gather and be safe, which means the nation is going to be very hard to knock out. And Akish sees all this and he says, what is going on? And he finds out, I think he finds out, David never actually worked for you. He lied to you for a year and a half. He was actually defeating the enemies of of Israel the whole time. He was defending his nation the whole time. He brought back the plunder and he gave it to you so that you would think what he was doing was for you, but it's, it wasn't. He lied to you. I, I, I'm telling you, this, this is personal because the Philistines could have easily stepped in and said, hey, let's work out a trade agreement. Hey, let's work out a, a you know, uh, anti-aggression agreement, a peace treaty. But they see what David's doing, and they said, if we don't step in now, then we could have trouble for a long time. So they put together an army, which takes time, and it's big. It just has full force. So we're probably talking 100,000 men-ish. I don't know how many, plus or minus. A lot of them are just fishermen and farmers and that sort of thing. They're out front, but they're also ready to kill people. And they make arrangements. David hears about it. 
and he went he went down to the stronghold. He goes down to the place where it's where it's going to happen. So David hears about it. It doesn't mean that that you know this was a rumor. It means they sent him a note and said, "Hey David, we'd like to we'd like to go up in battle against you." Now the fact that he went out of the like he went down to the to the stronghold. He left the city and he went into battle. This is the king. This is who David is. He's a leader. This is how he goes. Now, oh, look at that. My furnace just turned. Did you hear that? Maybe, maybe the engineer took that out, or the the producer took that out. But whoa, the furnace just just kicked on. It must be getting cold here in New England. Dun dun dun. Anyways, sorry for that hum if you hear it. David's headed down to the stronghold. Now the Philistines had come up and they spread out. Uh, you know, in the valley of Rephraim. So David inquired of the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? And the Lord answered him, go, I will surely deliver you, deliver the Philistines into your hands. So this is, this is, uh, this is where I want to talk about God taking sides, right? Because David goes, uh, he goes into the valley, he attacks them straight on. And, and he defeats them. And he says, as waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So here you go. David inquires of the Lord. God gives him a plan. He says, hey, do I, do I go attack them? Yes, go attack them. Are you going to give them into my hands? Yes, they will be defeated by you. Does God take sides? Does God, does God hate some and love others? Does does he pick a team over another team? Now, this was true for me because I went to, you know, a, a Christian school. It was actually a boarding school. I, I loved it, actually. I loved being there. It was a boarding school. It was in North Carolina. Mm. I love North Carolina. I'll tell you, that's where I fell in love with two things. Barbecue. Oh, so good. And sweet tea. Or more appropriately called sweet tea oh sweet jesus that stuff is good i i actually when i when i was running a camp in massachusetts uh, i was well technically i didn't i was the program director uh the director director ran the camp but when i was running the youth camp programming it i tried to get a recipe for sweet tea while i was visiting north carolina i went to some you know, I love it. I loved going there because whenever we visit, because you just find these little barbecue huts and you get the, you know, you get the barbecue and you get the sweet tea. Oh, it's so my mouth is literally watering. I'm going to swallow a lot, which I'm sure will drive my producer crazy because I swallow evidently really loud. And he's like having to try to eliminate them or at least dull them so that you can listen to this without, um, going crazy so love sweet tea anyways they wouldn't give it to me they wouldn't give me the recipe i was like listen i like i'm not going to be competition i literally i run a camp in in new england like i just need to know how do you make five gallons of this or, or sorry not five gallons because we had a camp with like 300 people i was like i need to make 50 gallons of this at a time they were like yeah no not telling you it was crazy i'm sure it just 
I, it probably had so much sugar that that they couldn't tell me because it would have been obscene. I think sweet tea, sweet tea, should actually be able to double as maple syrup. Like if you run out of maple syrup for your waffles, you should be able to pour sweet tea on it. That's how sweet it is. I know it's not healthy. I know that. That's why I don't have it very often. But when you're in North Carolina, you go there. You got. You've got to have it. You know who comes close to it though nationally is Chick Fil A. They do. Their sweet tea is is pretty good. It's a pretty good um, rendition of what it is in North Carolina, but it's not. It's just not the same. In my high school, they made some amazing sweet tea. Man, I. It's actually ridiculous how much we used to drink it. We get back from from like whatever soccer practice. And we, at the time, especially early, the first couple of years of my, of my uh, high school career, we had to wear uh, a tie to dinner. Uh, it was, it was family style. You had to wear ties. Girls had to wear dresses or skirts and men, they would, you know, we had to stand, all go in, assign seating, stand around the table, wait for prayer. They'd pray and, Man, if you could, you grab the pitcher of sweet tea. And they had the, like these little six or eight ounce glasses for you to drink out of. And you would just you would just drain the the half gallon of, of sweet tea that was on the and then you just send your waiter back for more because everybody everybody had servers, right? It was it was so good. No, I'm sorry. Where were we? Oh, does God take sides? Oh, that's why I wanted to bring <laughs> my engineer in my head. He's like, hey, remember? Yeah, I do. So does God take sides? So there we were, right? Christian Christian high school, and we play other Christian schools, not exclusively. We've also played um, public schools. Um, there were actually several boarding schools in the area that weren't evangelical in nature. They were just they were just prep prep schools. Anyways, we we play them too. But especially when you'd play other Christian schools, you knew both teams were praying. For victory, you'd have prayer before the before the the game. You'd be like, "Lord, please help us win today." Lord, you know, God, please help us. God, give us give us a victory. God, we need this win. God, we want to make the playoffs. God, and then you'd lose. Like, then what do you have? Well, then you have to go to God and say, like, "Well, why did you make us lose?" Because you know the shot could have went in. the The injury could have been avoided. the The foul could have been avoided. The like, why? What happened? And nobody really addressed it. I think at some level we were just we were just supposed to trust, right? God is good all the time. So if you lose, it's good for you. And if you win, it's good for you. <laughs> it's uh it's interesting. Oh wait, so you want the answer? All right, well, this is what happened. God doesn't take sides. There, that's my answer. I know it looks like it. I get it. It does look like it, right? David prays. God says, yes, you're going to win. And David goes into the battle confident that God is going to do this for him. He says, go into battle, and yes, you will win. That's crazy. Well, what did, what did God do then? Well, I think 
God knew, God knew. He's like, yeah. Now this doesn't mean that God orchestrated it. It means God knew. It means the, of all the possibilities that God was aware of, of all the, the, the sword fights that would happen and the arrows that, that would be flung and the, and the rocks that would be slung, he knew. He's like, no, you're, you're going to win this one. I know this. So David takes that as a guarantee. But it was really just God looking at all the possibilities. And he's like, yeah, I think you got it. I think you got this. So David David goes down to this, this valley, right? This valley, just for what it's worth, is really it's really a canyon. I mean, it's it's pretty it's pretty steep on both sides, and it's about a mile from Jerusalem. So, so it's it's not that far. The Philistines are blown away. They're blown away. So the place is called Baal Perazim, which means the Lord who breaks out, because it was like a flood. It was you know it was a flood. The Philistines ran so fast that they left their idols behind. Basically, they they did they didn't even grab their tents or their or their bedding when they ran, which usually would happen, right? You have an army that big, uh, you're losing really bad. Everybody starts to run. They run to their their sleeping area. They grab their valuables, which would have included their idols. They're not like big, you know, fifty foot totem poles. They're just little idols. They would grab those, whether they whether they were made of out of gold or ceramic or wood or bronze or brass or iron. It didn't matter. They just you would grab them and keep running because you'd want the gods with you when you ran. And he called it Baal Baal Perin Perez Perez, which means you know the Lord who breaks out, because the word Baal means God. You know when when uh, when you read that throughout the Old Testament, right? It says, "Oh, they worship Baal, <gasps> Baal." Yeah, that's the word for God. It's it's uh, it's not it's not an unusual word. It doesn't guarantee that it that there's an idol involved. It's just a, a word that means God. So he called it Baal, not because he's got an idol involved, just because that word means God. And the Philistines abandoned their idols, and David and his men carried them off. Not the Philistines, the idols. <laughs> they were blown away. They're on the run. They leave their gods. And, and, and so collecting them was very symbolic uh, culturally. David didn't need the idols. I have no idea what he did with them. He might have melted them down and used them uh, elsewhere for arrow tips or daggers or something like that but they collected them on purpose so that when the men came back if they ever came back they would find that all of their their valuables were gone they plundered the camp of the philistines so now what well now the philistines are reeling in defeat they cannot understand what happened they were on, you know, they were on the right side of the canyon. They picked the 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 perfect battle plan. David just David's men just overwhelmed them. 
This was the first time, remember now, that David is, is leading the, the nation of Israel unified. The men that David are, are fighting with are motivated. They're not motivated by the fear that Saul would do something mean to them and their family. They're not, they're not being manipulated by a leader. They're being inspired by a leader. They're being inspired by hope. They're, they're seeing the expansion of the city begin. They're seeing that, that the city of Jerusalem that was a stronghold for 500 years had been, had been defeated with, with hardly even an arrow being shot. The victory was huge. The, the symbolism was huge. The expansion was, was meaningful. The wealth was starting to flow. The marketplaces were open. The trades were open. The people were planting fields in peace. They knew that David could protect them. They knew that their families were safe. They knew that David was not a revengeful leader that was going to look to take out you know, half the other nation that had been loyal to Saul. He was it, like all of this was energizing. It was focusing. It it made them excited. When they got into battle, they they wanted to to defeat the the enemy. They weren't looking to just survive. They were looking to win. And that's a huge mental difference. When you go in when you go into anything, when you go into your day with the idea of I don't I'm not here to survive. I'm here to win. It changes the way you approach everything. My son has a saying, uh, my son Stephen, he says, uh, we're always winning. We're always, we're always winning. It's his way of, of staying focused on the positive things. Because he's, he he uh, he's a tradesman, he does an amazing job, but he gets you know, in some tight situations. He gets in some situations that look like, how am I going to get this done? Like how the homeowner wants this. And it looks like an impossible job. And he'll say, but I, I'm always winning. And it like releases his mind to think creatively. It, he's All my kids are awesome, by the way. And I don't need to a podcast. I, I would need a whole po- podcast just to brag about them. But honestly, that was they, they're all amazing kids. Amazing kids. So here we go. So the Philistines go back, right? They lick their wounds. They're, they reevaluate. And they come back again to the same valley, to the same canyon. I think they come back the next year because it takes a long time to put a whole big army together and you are soundly defeated. That army does not want to come back together. They don't know what just hit them. They lost all their all their supplies. They were deeply plundered. When you're running and you got a sword banging against your your leg, you drop the sword and keep running. Like they left everything behind. If it's not the next year, it is months later because they would have had to reforge all of their things. But they all have businesses, right? The, if you're going to take the whole nation with you, you, you've taken the – they had a huge trade in the fishing industry just for what it's worth. So you take all these fishermen off their boats – they're not get, getting fish. Their, their livelihood is being impacted. So I think it's a year later. They come back to the same valley. David goes back to the Lord. Hey, what do I do? Now, this is, this is, more, this is, this is more than just, hey, David, going, David was in trouble. David went to God. This was showing a pattern that David inquired of the Lord. He asked God what to do. He also would have asked 
the advice of those that were around him. He had counselors. He had people of wisdom. He had military uh, commanders. David was, was humble enough to remember that although the final decision was his, it was a decision he didn't make alone. That's a, that's another key deal with, with David's leadership style. So he, he goes back. The last time, you know, uh, last time Philistines were there and they lost, they, of course, were, they, they had just lost, like they lost emotionally as well, right? That's why everybody ran. Now they're probably super jacked. They are charged up. They are ready for a fight to the death. They, they were embarrassed last time. They were, they were humiliated amongst themselves. Like they, they couldn't, they couldn't even find a hero. Like everybody could point at one another. So emotionally they are, they are very focused on winning this one. So David goes to the Lord. He's like, do I go straight up? And he hears from the Lord. And again, I don't think God gave him this plan out of the blue. I think God confirmed a plan that was already in play. Now, I, I, you can say, well, how do you get that, Bob? Because the Bible says that God told him that he shouldn't go straight up, but he should circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees, which was part of, you know, a forest. Yeah, I think God was confirming a plan. That's what I think. I don't think this came out of the blue. Because I don't think God chooses sides. I think God gives wisdom. Now, what would have happened if the Philistines' approach to David's victory the first time would have been, listen, we lost all of our idols. We all ran away. Maybe we should maybe we should approach this peaceably. Maybe we should make a peace treaty. I'm sure that that option was on the table for them. I know it was. Maybe maybe if they had done it this way, maybe not just a peace treaty, maybe we should follow the God of Israel. Maybe we should just follow him. We could still have our own government, but maybe we should follow the God that David follows. Clearly, the God that David follows works really well. I mean, now, again, not that God was taking sides, but the blessings were so clear to the nation. And clearly, the favor of God was with David. And not because David was special, but because David maintained an uh, an open, open access to God's blessing. God wasn't going to run out of blessings. Everyone could have the kind of blessings David had. I mean, it's it's just that simple. I know that visually we read it and it looks like God picks sides. God blesses some people more than he blesses others. And I say, no, that's not true. It's perspective. It's perspective and it's access and it's awareness of what your blessings are. And we can all tell stories. Well, maybe not all of us, but I know many can tell stories, right? They they go to, quote, poor parts of the country or poor nations to help out, and they can't believe the attitude of the people that are there, that are so kind, so generous, even though, quote, they have nothing. Why? Because their perspective is, I got everything. I mean, it's it's amazing. So David's perspective is, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna check everything with God before we before we move forward. 
So God, my counsel is that we go and we attack the enemy. And God's like, yes, I can. Yes, I'm, I'm with you. So David feels comfortable giving God credit for everything. He also thinks it's is you know it's all from God anyway. So even if they lose and 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 are defeated, he would give God credit for that as well. So he gets the plan. The plan is circle around behind them, attack them from the poplar trees. He says, as soon as you hear the sound of the marching tops, marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord has gone out in front of you and will strike the Philistine army. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way to, to Gibeon and to Gezer. Geyser, Geyser, Geyser. Now you say, well, well, see, that proves that God's on his side. That proves that God was, you know, he did something supernatural. Now, for some, they think it was, you know, that God sent an angel army marching on the tops of the trees so that David was actually never had to go to battle, that the angels actually did all the, all the fighting, and the Philistine army was defeated. God was so in David's corner. Others think that God made the supernatural sound because it made it sound as though David's army was way bigger than it was. And the Philistines got scared and ran away. I don't know. I mean, honestly, I, I, I would love to be super sure about this. Like so many I know are super sure that God, God was picking sides here. But I don't think God picked sides. So I don't know where this, what this sound was about. I think the wind was blowing. That's, I, I think it's just, for me, it's that simple. He's like, wait until the wind blows because the sound of the leaves, the sound of the wind will mask all the noises of the army. It's tough to move thousands of people without making a sound. For me, this is a word of wisdom. This is a creative, an- this is, you know, creative answers to problems. That comes from God. It comes from access to heaven. It's not a supernatural advantage. It's a relational advantage. David gets a word of knowledge, gets a word of inform- gets some information from God that says, "Listen, if you wait until the wind blows and you start to run, the noises of the leaves is are, are gonna are going to." hinder the Philistines' ability to know you're coming. And by the time they hear you, you'll be on them. And that's what happened. That's what happened. Now, here's the deal. Uh, God is, of course, aware of the enemy. He, they, they know, he knows that, that the enemy's plan is to bring death. Right? David follows quote, the plan that that he presented, that God had confirmed, everything, the battleground's the same, the enemy's the same, but the battle plan is different. The battle plan's different. It confuses the enemy. The Philistines are expecting a straight on down the valley, or down down the canyon, into the valley, let's beat each other up. And instead, David comes in from the backside, and then and, and it's confusing and they're unnerved and they're not sure what to do and they lose again 
and David soundly defeats the, the enemy again. But the, you know, these are basic lessons for us to learn. One, David stayed in relationship with, with heaven, and in that relationship he got confirmation of his plans, and he got information that was helpful to see the plans come to success. These are things that God will do for everyone. This is not a pick-a-side thing. God will do this for everyone. All you have to do is ask. It's it's just who he is. His he's not he's he isn't somewhere else where he has you have to yell and hopefully get his attention. He's not somewhere else where you have to win the battle and then see if he'll pay attention to you. You can go to him and say, "All right, what's the plan? What what's the best? This is my plan. What do you think?" This is what everyone's saying. What do you think? Yes or no? Go or stay? And then listen. And if you don't, you know, whatever you hear, then move on it. Take the confirmation. Or if God objects, if God objects, then you go back to the drawing board and say, all right, let's, let's, let's try this again. Let's try a different plan. You, you don't have to just take his no. Just say, all right, so... Like, give me some direction. Give me some help. What's the answer to the problem? How do I get there from here? It doesn't have to be in battle, battle. Like, like big time, like in this case, like national problems. David was able to do this in confidence because David did this on a daily basis in all the little things. David, and I know not 100% of the time, I know David falls and fails. I get that. I know that he orders the the murder of people and, and the death of people that that he shouldn't have. I know that. I know that. I know that. But generally speaking, David goes to God for things and he's used to hearing God's voice. So when the big things comes, he's not panicked. He's not hoping to hear from God. He knows he's going to hear from God. He goes to God with a plan. What should I do? Go. Awesome. Com- confirmed. Are we going to win? Like, I'm just curious. Can you tell me that part? Yes, you are. <laughs> nice. Now, not only do I have a plan, I can go forward confidently. I know it's going to work. What if God had said, yeah, I want you to go, but you're not going to win? Oh. Then you ask, I would ask more questions. Like, well, then what's the, well, then what's the goal? Like, what are we trying to accomplish? Because I know you're good. And your plans for me are to prosper me. Your plans for me are to bring favor and blessings on me. So why would you send me into battle knowing I'm going to lose? That's what I would ask next. And I'm guessing God would have an answer. He'd say, well, this is what I want you to do when you get there. I, it's honestly, God is not, he's not confined. His sovereignty is not so narrow that it has to be certain ways. You have to behave certain ways or his plan gets screwed up. This is about relationship, and David is showing us in, I mean, in this story, one of the main things that it shows us is that David was in a daily relationship with God so that he had great confidence in going to him with the big plans when the nation's um, nation's uh, reputation was on the line. The defeat of the Philistines was huge, and we'll get into that in the next chapter, but but this was this was big. This is big because conventional wisdom would have said, listen, we defeated them doing it this way last time. Let's do it again this time. I would imagine some of his commanders were like that. David, let's pay attention, right? 
clearly they can't handle us. Clearly we overwhelm them. Clearly we're faster than them. We're stronger than them. We we have better archers, better slingers, better better riders than they do. We can do this. Let's just do it again. And other people were like, I think we should do something different. And David goes to God, all right, should we go into battle? Yes, all right, so what do you think we should do? Like, which one of these plans works best for you? Oh, definitely go around. Oh, that okay. I kind of like that one too. And listen, if you wait for the wind to blow, it's going to mask the sound of the of the warriors. You'll come up behind the Philistines pretty much unnoticed. You'll surprise them, confuse them, and defeat them. They're all going to run again. It's going to be a good day. And that's what David did. It's it's and they chased the Philistines for miles. For miles. Anyway, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Uh, feel free to continue to interact with uh, with me online, and uh, I really do appreciate you guys hanging out for this many weeks. What are we, like at 31? This is crazy. You people are crazy. Oh, we'll wait till next week. Oh, so good. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.